Well, hey, good morning to you, Grace. It is so good to see you this morning. If you brought your Bibles, would you turn in them to the book of Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 5. We'll get there in a little bit. If you're visiting us for the first time today, I want to welcome you personally. My name is Nathan, and hope you sit back and relax and enjoy your Sunday morning. We're in a series that's all about the family, my family, your family. I'm sure you have ideas on the way that your family should be, and maybe some of those are working out or not, but this really isn't about what you think about your family or I think about mine. This gives God some time, God's perspective of the family. We started off in this series about singleness and how singleness is actually preferred in many situations to marriage, although marriage is important in a lot of other areas. And so if you feel like you can't remain single and remain holy, then you need to get married. And so the next uh, sermon was about how to find the person to marry. And then the last couple weeks have been the husband, the man's role in the marriage, and then the wife's, the woman's role in a marriage. And today we get to uh, another part of the family. And so today is the kids. God's perspective of kids in the family. Kind of all, this whole sermon came from uh, an experience I had with a cute little young couple a couple, a little while ago, sitting in my office. They were all lovey-dovey, big eyes staring at each other like they had rainbows and stars above their heads. You know, they're engaged, you know, they're all lovey-dovey. And so they're in my office because they want one of the pastors at Grace Community Church to marry them. And so I assumed that they're going to have kids, and so I asked them, how many kids do you plan on having, and when do you plan on having them? And their reaction is what spurred the study for today's sermon. Their reaction was funny, but I didn't expect it. Their reaction was, what? Kids? What are you talking about? (laughs) Now, for some context, this couple, they were Christians, and they were both honoring God in their dating and in their engagement, and they had committed to remaining sexually pure. They were both virgins. They were going to remain sexually pure until their wedding day. And so they were so focused on that that they hadn't really even thought about, what are we going to do when we get married? They hadn't really even thought that far into marriage about about kids. And so what do you think? Do you think that, that me assuming that, that they would have kids, do you think I was assuming too much? Do you think that my assumption that a Christian married couple would have kids is inappropriate? Do you think I assume too much? Uh, Did I unintentionally, of course, but did I unintentionally put undue pressure on them to do something that they aren't called to do or weren't called to do by God? Or, do you think that was an appropriate assumption that a Christian married couple would have kids? Well, we're not going to raise hands today because we don't want to start any fights. But all of this kind of came from that conversation and then this article or this entire uh, magazine episode in Time Magazine, which was all dedicated to the child-free life. And the articles in there had painted, painted such a beautiful, wonderful picture of what it was like to not have kids in your marriage. A recent survey has shown that one in five women by the age of 45 have decided purposefully that they are not going to have any children. That is double the rate of what it used to be back in 1970. In 1970, it was one out of 10 women had come to that conclusion. Now it's one in five. And in the United States, our birth rate as a nation is the lowest it has ever been. It's, it's in one year alone, 2011, the birth rate in America dropped 
in one year. Today, we stand, our birth rate is 40% lower than it was in 1960. And so the article in Time Magazine argues for a reason why, why that is. And that's because families, husbands and wives, are moving away from the traditional family of a mom and a dad, a husband and wife having kids, and they're moving to this idea of a child-free life. And the main reason for the child-free life is because it's going to cramp my style. (laughs) The money that was going to go to all the other things now is going to go towards diapers and formula and doctor's appointments and, and more diapers instead of quote, random road trips, late night outings with our friends, and an open pocketbook for doing whatever our hearts desire. And so as a part of the series of articles uh, here in this Time magazine, one of them was about a a Christian couple, and they had become ex-church members of this church in Nashville. And the reason that they were ex-members of the church was because they argued that the church was oppressively family-centric. Like, can you even, is that even a thing? Oppressively family-centric. Their, their thought was that they were just constantly bombarded with the idea that, that married people were to have kids, and they didn't really want to. They wanted to live a child-free life, and so they wanted to kind of live a guilt-free life, and so they left the church. And so with this shift, I mean, it's been a dramatic shift in the U.S., with the shift from the traditional family to this idea of a child-free life, the question does need to be asked, is this biblical? What does the Bible say about these things? Salon.com had a series of articles entitled, To Breed or Not to Breed? And the subtitle to the series of articles, I highlighted and put a little, little red arrow there so you could uh, see what it said or notice it. But the subtitle, you don't need to read any of the articles because the subtitle tells you where it's going. Studies show that couples who choose not to have children are happier than h- those who do. So quit leaning on me to spawn. <laughs> and so the question is, well, what does God think about that? And so today we're going to answer the question that most Christian people run across at some point in time, and that question is, should a married couple have kids? Should they have kids? Not can they, because yes, (laughs) they can. And not should they wait until they're married to have kids, because already we know the answer is yes. That kids are, come from marriage, kids should have a married mom and dad, that is best for them. And so I'm not asking, can they? Of course they can. And I'm not asking, should you wait for marriage until kids? Yes, that is true. The question is, should we? Does God compel a Christian who is married to have kids? Does, does the Bible encourage or motivate Christian couples to have kids? Or is this a complete area of liberty? You know, does God sit back and say, it's great if you do have kids, or it's great if you don't have kids? I'm not taking a position on this. You guys can decide. So which is it? Are we compelled by God to have kids, or is this just a complete area of freedom and 
liberty. Lots of people make the decision not to have kids for a lot of reasons. Sometimes they're pragmatic, like the Time article, which was just, hey, d- don't mess with my lifestyle. I like what I do with my money, and I don't, you know, I, I like what I do. I like the time that I have, so don't mess with me. So sometimes people just make that decision not to have kids, just pragmatism only. But others make that decision financially, like kids are expensive. <laughs> yes, kids are expensive. And so you add up the diapers and the formula and the doctor's visits and $30,000 a year for college and $20,000 wedding, and you're like, I can't afford kids. Some people make the decision not to have kids for environmental reasons. Overpopulation is a problem. People are starving around the world, and I don't want to contribute to the overpopulation issue. I don't want to contribute to the starvation issue, add to the problem that already exists. And some make a decision not to have kids merely for social reasons, like I don't want to bring a child into this. Have you ever heard people say that? I just don't want to bring a child into this world. If the world was better, if it was a different situation, then maybe I would, but I just don't want to bring a child into this. Now, full disclosure here. I ha- there are multiple Christian married couples in my family who have chosen to live the child-free life. They have been married for a long time and have purposefully chosen not to have kids. But the question has to be asked, what does God think about that? And so that's what we're going to do today. First, we're going to start off in Genesis, the book of beginnings. And Genesis chapter 1, verse 28 answers a lot of the questions that are now rumbling around in your brain. Maybe you haven't really thought about it like this before. But Genesis 1, verse 28 uh, clarifies a lot of God's position just in one verse. But let's read it here. God blessed them and said to them, this is Adam and Eve, the very first man and woman whom he married. And now after he marries them, this is what he says to them. He says, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And so this is what God says to Adam and Eve, but not just to Adam and Eve. This is what he says to all of humanity you need to multiply to preserve your species. That makes sense, right? You, you need to m- multiply. If you don't multiply, your species is going to die out. And so, yes, love, and yes, get to know each other better, and yes, marriage, and yes, sex, and yes, pregnancy. And then nine months later, you have duplicated yourself. You've multiplied yourself. But I guess for Adam and Eve, they really needed to have another one because then that would be, you know, one for one. Now we've got two of them, but in order for them to fill the earth, obviously they needed a lot more. And so God tells not just Adam and Eve, but all of humanity from a biological perspective, you need to multiply or your species is going to die out. So yeah, this is a command from God to Adam and Eve and every other married couple on planet earth that you need to have fruit of your womb, not fruit of the loom, (laughs) fruit of your womb, and multiply. Why? Well, the very next few words. Why? To fill the earth. God is not concerned about overpopulation. God is concerned about underpopulation. You only need to take a vacation if you drive for your vacation. If you have driven on vacation any more than 200 miles away from where you live, you know that there's not an overpopulation problem. There is so much space everywhere, and God says, multiply, 
fill it all up. But you know what's been, what, what is, has been happening in our culture is this concern of overpopulation. Back in the 1960s, that was the premier concern was overpopulation. It wasn't environmental, you know, like for us right now, it's a global warming. Actually, in the 1960s, it was global cooling was the concern. <laughs> Get that math. But anyway, it, that wasn't, global cooling wasn't the main issue. The main issue was overpopulation. They were so concerned that by, we, by the time we got to 1990, that there was going to be so little food available that there were going to be massive die-offs, massive starvation all around the world because there just would not be enough food around the world. And so, TV shows, you know, like name brand TV shows that happened right at prime time, they had entire episodes dedicated to the issue of overpopulation. And so now with all of our streaming services, you can go back and you can watch them like the Mary Tyler Moore show. Some of you might be familiar with that show. Had entire episodes dedicated to overpopulation. I want to show you an interesting graph here. I know you probably can't read it, so I'll kind of help fill in some of the blanks here. But across the bottom are the years, starting in 1960, all the way on the left-hand side, all the way to 2018. 2018 is 30 years past D-Day. You know, 1990 was D-Day. So 2018 is 30 years past that. And then up vertically there is just the growth of whatever thing we're talking about here. And so this happens to be the pr production of cereal around the world. Yeah, cereal is just one food item. It's just, a, it's a staple food item, but it's a food item. I can't put all food on here. You'd, your eyes would go in the back of your head. So I just picked one. So here's cereal. And so the math in 1960 was, if we only produce the amount of cereal that we were able to produce in, produce in 1960, by the time we hit 1990, there's going to be massive starvation. No more Lucky Charms. No. <laughs> no. The world cries without Lucky Charms. And so the, the math is on 1960 and 2018, the very first, the very first, uh, purple line there that kind of streams across the bottom is the acreage or the land use used for production cereal throughout the years. So that's the, the, the land use. The next line up, that straight one, is just population. The population has increased 150% 100, since 1960 to 2018. The two lines above the population are cereal production and cereal consumption, basically. And, and so you can tell that the cereal production of just this one staple item has exceeded the growth of the population. And so, yeah, I guess the concern was back in 1960, you know, we're going we're gonna to die out because we don't have enough food. But what they neglected to remember was that God continues to provide for mankind through planet Earth that he gave us, and now we have more than we need, and we have more food than we even did in, in 1960 in a comparison basis, at least when it comes to Lucky Charms. And so God says, overpopulation is not a problem. Underpopulation is your problem. Fill it up, multiply. And you say, well, but what about those people around the world that are starving? What about the, the people that can't get food and the people who are starving? The reason that people are starving around the world is not because of lack of food, and it's not because of overpopulation. It's because of evil in the world. 
bad decisions by bad governments or bad leaders or bad personal choices has caused that. That's not because there's a lack of lucky charms around the world. And so God says, fill it up. Fill it up. When we do get overpopulated, then we can worry about that, okay? We'll worry about that when that comes. But there is not a housing crisis in Death Valley. Have you been there? (laughs) Nobody is there. There's not a housing crisis in the high desert. They can just build and build and build and build and build. There's not an overpopulation problem in Wyoming. You can drive for days in Wyoming and not see a soul. It is mind-numbing being in Wyoming. And so until Wyoming is packed full of people, don't worry about overpopulation. Continue to multiply. Continue to fill, fill up the earth. Overpopulation is not a problem under population, according to God, is the problem. And then so after he talks about filling the earth, then he says, subdue it and and rule over it. It is okay for humans to be the top of the food chain. Did you know that? That's not a bad thing. That's a good thing. It's a good thing that that humans are the top of the food chain, that that human life is important. Human life is, is valuable. Your kids have more value than your dog. Your kids have more authority than your dog, although (laughs) sometimes you wonder about that, but still, your kids have more value and more authority than your dog does. And so after all of this, he tells all of this to Adam and Eve, and then the entire population of the world dies off through the Genesis flood. And then now we have one family again. We have Noah and his family. And you know what God tells Noah and his family? The same things. In Genesis chapter 9, verse 1, And God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Six verses later, he says, As for you, be fruitful and multiply and populate the earth abundantly and multiply in it. I know like the current like perspective in our world is like humans are parasites on the, on the earth and we got to got to get rid of the parasites. Uh, that the idea is is that that humans are less humans and and more nature is better. But that devalues the life that God has given to humans. I I get it. The idea these days is uh, More plants, fewer people is better. More giraffes, fewer people is better. But God says, no, 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 more people are better. And so I think we could all come to at least the agreement that biologically to multiply yourself for the sake of maintaining the species, that makes sense, right? I mean, that makes sense. But that's not really exactly the question for today. The question for today is, what about me? Does God compel me to have kids? Does does the Bible move me to have kids? Or does God see this as a complete area of freedom, a complete area of liberty, and I can essentially do whatever I want? And the answer is is no. I think God does have a perspective on this. I think God does want married Christian couples to have kids. I'm going to give you five reasons uh, from the Bible why that is the case. The first reason that I think God and the Bible would want married Christian couples to have kids is that marriage is the only source for children. 
marriage is the only place biblically where kids come from. We already read in Genesis about Adam and Eve, and then once they get married, then they have kids. And then we find out from uh, God to Noah, who is married, to Noah and his sons. His sons are married, and we find out, okay, now you need to multiply and you need to populate the earth. So it's always in marriage. And then the Bible talks about where kids do not come from, where, where the, the marital relationship happens. In Hebrews chapter 13, verse 4, it talks about where sex shouldn't happen. It says this in Hebrews 13, 4, it says marriage is to be held in honor among all, and the marriage bed is to be undefiled. For fornicators and adulterers, God will judge. Fornication is just having sex not in a context of marriage at all. Uh, adultery is having sex outside of your spouse that you are married to. And so God says, okay, it's in marriage where kids come and sex and then the resulting children does not happen outside of marriage. I asked you to turn in your Bibles to the book of Ephesians chapter 5, 20 minutes ago, and now finally we get there. And first though, look at Ephesians chapter 6, verse 1. Just kind of notice where children happen to be. You know, where, where do children, who do children happen to be around in chapter 6, verse 1? Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that, that it may be well with your soul, that you may live long on the earth. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but keeping them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. So there's Ephesians. Like, so where are kids? Kids are with their parents. Or at least they're with their mother and their father. And so some, some of you, or you're smart people, some of you might say, well, that doesn't specifically say that that mom and that dad have to be married. I mean, yes, biologically you need a mom and a dad, but that doesn't necessarily say here in Ephesians 6 that it is a married mom and a married dad. Aha! But now we scoot up to to chapter 5, to Ephesians chapter 5, where I ask you to turn. Remember, context. The Bible ha- is, a, is a storyline. It's a running storyline. If you kind of take some verses out of context, you're not going to understand where they fit within the storyline. So notice a storyline in which chapter 6 happens with children obeying their mom and their dad and the dad not provoking them to anger and all of those kinds of things. Look at Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22. Wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. For as the husband is the head of the wife, for the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church, he himself being the Savior of the body. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also the wives ought to be to their own husbands in everything. We've talked about this in the last two weeks, the role of the wife in a marriage and the role of a husband in the marriage. Verse 25, husbands, love your own wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing with water with the word that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, 
but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ also does the church, because we are members of his body. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and, be, and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is great, but I am speaking with reference to Christ and the church. Nevertheless, each individual among you also is to love his own wife, even as himself. And the wife is to see it that she respects her husband. Chapter 6, verse 1, children obey those two people. Obey the two people that are sacrificing for each other in a place called marriage. I don't think I really have to convince you that it's best that children come from marriage, but biblically, there is no other source for kids other than marriage. And so do the math with me. If, if a married couple, married couples, decide, eh, I, this is no big deal. I don't need to have kids. I want to go to Disneyland instead. There would be no kids on planet Earth. I mean, do we get the math? That there, there would be no fun. <laughs> kids make things more fun. Yes, you would have more money in your pocket. Yes, you would have more money in your 401k. But who's going to be there in your lonely years when you need other people to support you? Who's even going to be there? Marriage is the source for kids. And so that's why married couples, it's important for married couples to have children. Secondly, the second reason that I think that God encourages, compels Christians to have kids is because they are always considered a blessing in Scripture. They're always a blessing. Wherever kids are written about, it's always a blessing. Let me just show you some examples here. In Genesis chapter 4, this is Eve with her firstborn son. Now, the man had relations with his wife, that's Adam and Eve, and she conceived and gave birth to Cain, and she said, I have gotten a man-child with the help of the Lord. She knew that this Cain, this boy, was from God. She skipped right past Adam. Adam had nothing to do with it. This came from God. She knew that it came from God. This was a blessing from God. This is throughout Scripture. I'll give you a few other examples. We have Hannah with the birth of her boy Samuel. This was her perspective there. Hannah said, oh my Lord, as your soul lives, my Lord, I am the woman who stood here beside you praying to the Lord. For this boy I prayed, and the Lord has given me my petition which I have asked of him. Yeah, because Samuel was a blessing. Samuel was a blessing to Hannah. Here's another example with Isaac um, praying for his wife, Rebecca. Isaac prayed to the Lord on behalf of his wife because she was barren, and the Lord answered him, and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. Why? Because children are a blessing. They always come from God. And probably the, the one that is most memorable is Psalm 127, when it talks about, Behold, children are a gift from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are, the ch so are children of one's youth. Now, how blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. They will not be ashamed when they speak with their enemies at the gate. And a short study on this, the insinuation is, one of the benefits of having kids is that they protect you in your old age. So I, I get it. I realize that <laughs> children aren't always seen as a blessing. I get it. They're expensive. It's scary. I've never had a kid before. What would I even do? Yeah, I know. We've all, <laughs> we've all 
brought that little thing home and like, okay, what do we do next? <laughs> what do we do now? I get it. And I get there, there, there's, there's fear uh, or anxiety over, you know, the, the certain stages of kids. Oh, I see my kids going through the, their kids are in the terrible twos, and I don't know if I want to know if I want to deal with that. And then, oh, those people are teenagers are, are rebellious, and I don't know if I could handle those kinds of rejections. And, and so, yeah, I, I get that it's a, it's a scary thing. But children are always a blessing from God, always. Maybe an inconvenient blessing, but a blessing. Maybe an expensive blessing, but a blessing. And yeah, maybe it does take you out of your comfort zone, but now you are praying more to God, you're trusting God more than you ever did before, and isn't that a blessing? Yeah, you're going to have more sleepless nights than you ever had before. You're going to cry tears that you never thought you were going to cry. But it's all a blessing. Even for those parents whose kids do wander off, even in their adulthood, those parents still need to remember that those kids are a blessing. So not only is marriage the only source for kids, and so it's important for somebody who's married to have kids, and not only is our kids considered to be a blessing in Scripture, thirdly, it's insinuated by Jesus. When I say it's insinuated, I mean married people having kids is insinuated by Jesus. Matthew chapter 19 is this chapter where Jesus praises people who are not married, are not having sex, and not having kids. We talked about that passage back when we talked about singleness. I don't know if you remember that. Where Jesus praises the fact that some people would be more dedicated to him because they don't have the distractions of a family. But in that same chapter, Jesus also says the most famous thing that Jesus said about kids in Matthew 19, verse 13, he says, Then some children were brought to him so that he would lay his hands on them and pray. And the disciples rebuked them, rebuked the kids, or probably rebuked the parents, you know. Don't, don't interrupt Jesus. But Jesus said, Let the children alone and do not hinder them from coming to me, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. So in a passage where Jesus, uh, he, he recognizes that kids can be a distraction. And let's be honest, kids can be a distraction. And he says, though, Kids are wonderful. They come to me. Let, let, them, let them all come to me. And so Jesus says, hey, it's wonderful if you have the calling of not being married and not having sex and not having kids because you wouldn't have some of those distractions. Now, the main reason that most non-Christians give for not having kids, having read through a lot of articles like The Child-Free Life in Time and all those salon.com articles and many others. The, the number one reason that non-Christians give for not having kids is just, I don't have to. I'm, I'm, I, I, I'm not mandated to. I can do what I want. Basically, you know, just a legal freedom. You know, I can do what I want. But most Christians, when they talk about living a child-free life, they don't give that as the reason. The reason that most Christians give as not having kids, of living a child-free life, is I just want to serve Jesus more. That's the reason that they give. I just want to serve Jesus. I just want to serve him. But that's like, a, it's a false choice. God, God does not give us the, the choice where we have to pick. I want to serve him or I want to have kids. That's a false choice. 
The way that parents serve God is by dedicating years and years of prayerful nurture to these children as they grow up. The way that you serve Jesus as a parent is through raising your kids. It's not, it's not one where you have to pick. That's a false dichotomy. Don't make people make you pick between are you serving God or are you raising kids? The answer is yes. Yes, I am. I am serving God by raising, dedicating my life to raising kids. Why? Because they are a blessing. Now, if you don't want to have kids, I get it. You, you might not want to have kids. You might know somebody who doesn't want to have kids. And Jesus, in Matthew 19, gives the way out. He, he, gives, he gives the way out if you don't want to have kids. Don't get married. That's the way out. It's insinuated by Jesus that if you're married, you have kids. And there'll be additional distractions in your life. And the way that you raise them and the way that you bring them to Jesus is the way that you're going to serve him. And if you don't want to do that, well, fine. Then don't get married. So it's insinuated by Jesus. Fourthly, it's assumed by the writers of the Bible. I could have put the apostles and the prophets. It just started getting long. It's assumed by the apostles and the prophets as they write scripture that married people have kids. Old Testament, New Testament, when married couples, when married couples are addressed, you get child advice. <laughs> when it talks about the qualifications of elders, the qualifications of deacons, when it talks about widows, when it talks about church practices, you also have conversations about kids because it's just assumed that if you're married, you have kids. I'll give you a couple examples just so you can kind of see what I'm talking about. Uh, Titus chapter 1 is the qualifications for an elder in a church. And so notice how children are just an assumed aspect of a married man. It says, for this reason I left you in Crete that you would Set in order what remains and appoint elders in every city as I directed you. Namely, if a man is above reproach, husband of one wife, having children who believe, not accused of dissipation, and on and on and on and on. Notice it's just assumed. It's, the, the author doesn't say, okay, for those men who've decided to have children, doesn't say that. It's just assumed. You're married, you have kids. It's just assumed by the apostles. Let me give you another example of qualification, or this one is for uh, women's ministry. This is an interesting one. There are three different kinds of women's ministry in the Bible, and this is one kind of the, that aspect of women's ministry. And so it says in Titus, older women, likewise, are to be reverent in their behavior, not malicious gossips, nor enslaved too much wine, teaching what is good, so that they may encourage young women to love their husbands and love their children. So this is one aspect of women's ministry, and that aspect of women's ministry is that older women are to teach younger women to love their husbands and love their kids. It is assumed that if you are married, you have kids. It's a general assumption throughout Scripture. Here is one in 1 Timothy about the qualifications of a deacon. This is deacons must be husbands of only one wife and good managers of their children and of their own households. It's just assumed. If you are married, you're going to have kids. It doesn't say, you know, well, for the, for the 60% of people who do decide to have kids, then they need to do this, but for the 40% who don't, then we need to adjust like that. It's just assumed that if you're married, you're going to have kids. And the last reason why I think the Bible um, clarifies that it is important for married couples to have kids is that it is never discouraged. 
Having kids is never discouraged in the Bible. Now, I bet if you, maybe at various stages in your life, if you went and asked your friends, hey, do you think I should have kids now? Your friends or your parents or your coworkers or your family members would give you lots of reasons why now's not a good time, right? Just think of all the reasons that they would tell you. Well, you know, you haven't been married long enough. You need to grow together. You guys, you know, you don't really have your career nailed down. Both of you are kind of working some some temp jobs. Uh, Your 401k isn't full yet. Uh, You guys don't even have a house with a backyard with a swing set. So not not right now. But the Bible gives none of those reasons. It's not there. Granted, there is one passage where it says that there may be a season where you don't want to have kids. And I agree with that. There are certain times when you don't want to have kids. If you are jobless, now's not the time to say, all right, honey, let's, uh, let's have five more real quick, okay? That's not, that's not quite the way that, that's, that's, that would be a season where you would not want to start having kids. Or another season when maybe you might not want to have kids is when you and, and your spouse are kind of, you know, you have some of this going on. And, and I don't know, sometimes when, when you know, difficulties are happening in a marriage, that the idea is, well, maybe if we have another child, maybe, maybe that will fix our marriage. But what happens is, as soon as you have another child, the things get bigger and bigger and bigger. And that's probably not a time to have more kids. So I agree, there would be a season for that. But other than a season, the Bible does not give reasons on why you shouldn't have kids. There's no scripture for that that I can put up here because you can't really prove a negative, you know. There is not one couple in a thousand that decides to have a child by sitting down and calculating the amount of heat that that life is going to add to global warming for the next 60 years. There's not one couple in a thousand that sits down and, and calculates exactly the impact of their child on the global population rates and the repopulation rate around the world. There isn't one. There isn't one couple in a thousand that sits down and says, okay, is there going to be enough food 60 years from now for this child to still be alive? There's not one. And And I'm not suggesting you should either. That's not the way that you decide to have kids. How does that happen? How does a couple decide to have kids. Well, we've kind of laid it out. The Bible declares, the Bible communicates the blessings that children are. It, it talks about the wonderful aspects of who kids are. And then add on top of that, not only the scripture communicating it, but nature. In nature, it communicates the desire to have kids as every time a woman ovulates, every time a man stands ready to spread his seed, though it's ready Scripture communicates it. Nature communicates it. And then as this man and this woman get together and they have this innate desire to be a mother and a father, they should follow that innate desire because it's given to them by God. That's how a a couple decides to have kids. And I'm going to go as far as saying this, that unless God himself makes it crystal clear to you that it is more self-denying and more Christ-honoring to not have kids, then you really need to consider having kids as a Christian married couple. That's my argument here. That unless God makes it, I'm saying God makes it crystal clear, not your friends. Your friends can invent all the reasons why you don't want to have kids. 
But unless God makes it crystal clear to you that it's more self-sacrificing, more self-dying, more Christ-honoring for you not to have kids, then you should consider having kids. It just, seem, it just seems to me that this lifestyle choice, you know, of a child-free life, that that lifestyle choice really isn't open to Christian married people. Now, obviously, th- there are some caveats to that. There, there, are, there are people who are unable to have children. My family has experienced that very closely, where families throughout the ages have been unable to have kids. And sometimes that is, some, sometimes the couple's like, okay, good. <laughs> not have to worry about it. But most of the time, that's not the case. Most of the time, it's a deafening, loud voice of, I wanted to have kids. I planned on having kids. I know kids are a blessing. I know that that's written in nature. I know I have this calling from, from God just as a man and a woman to participate in this. And now all of a sudden, I find out that I can't. And that's nothing new. We, we already read about couples in the Old Testament that were like that. And I don't know if they had the technology back then to find out if it was the woman and her biology or if it was the man and his biology. But in either case, that couple wasn't able to have kids. And so the question is, what about us? Do we need to pursue having children to the greatest extents of of science, you know, IVF and surrogacy and all of that? And the answer is no. No. Children are a gift from God. They're not a gift from science. And as, and as hard as that may be to hear, here's, here's the benefit in knowing that. That you are right in the middle of where God wants you to be. Now, you might not want to be there but at least you can rest assured knowing that you are right where God wants you to be. I don't have the time to go through all of the biblical application to the scientific methods of, of um, having scientific birth. And if you're really interested in that, or if you're contemplating this or debating this, you call me in the office, send me an email, and I'm happy to walk you through all the details. But children are a gift from God. Now, if you still have this call to be a parent, like, I mean, it is pressing, then adoption is a wonderful thing. There are kids who need a mom and a dad. And if you're a Christian married couple who's a mom and a dad, and you still feel this drive to be a parent that comes from God, then adoption is a wonderful thing. But I do want you to know that you are already a family. A husband and a wife makes a family. the The kids don't make the family. The husband and wife make the family, and then the kids, biblically, are a blessing, an addition to that family. And so if, if you're unable to have kids, and you're just not sure you have that, that God-given drive to be a parent, then fine, you are right where God wants you to be. And so the question is, is should a married couple have kids? And I'd say... With a few exceptions, yes, for these reasons. Yes. Now, there are sometimes not to have kids. 
you know, that cute little married couple that was it, the cute wanting to be married couple that was in my office. And so at some point in time, they stand in front of me and I pronounce them husband and wife and you may kiss your bride and I turn them around and they're, they're staring at all their friends and family I hear and I introduce to them a brand new family and they walk down the aisle and the mother-in-law grabs a hold of them and say, where's my grandbabies? Okay? That's not how you make a decision to have kids. You have now leaved your parents and you've cleaved to your spouse. They, they're not the ones making decisions for you anymore. So now you and her need to decide when you come to that, when you're going to come to that conclusion, how many they're going to be. And, and also, don't make that decision based on today. I don't want you to feel guilted or pressured today because guilt and pressure are on, only make bad decisions. So don't feel guilted into it or pressured into it. But I do hope that you take these things that I've told you and I hope you'd take them to heart. That you would consider these things, these biblical reasons, and you would come to a conclusion with you and your spouse that is the most self-sacrificing, Christ-honoring decision that the two of you can make. Now I've been talking to Christians today. Christians are people who put their faith and trust in Jesus. It's not that they've got life all figured out. It's that they have their eternal life figured out. The Bible says that Jesus is God. He came to earth in the flesh. He lived a perfect life. And so this Jesus, this God in the flesh, died on the cross for sin. And so a Christian is simply a person who's put their faith or their trust in Jesus' death on the cross to wipe away or to remove their sins. Jesus, three days after he was put on a cross on Good Friday, he rose from the grave on Easter Sunday, proving that he is God and he could do this very thing, and that is to forgive sins, to wash away your sins. And so I'm speaking to people who've put their faith and their trust in Jesus Christ. If you haven't put your faith in Jesus Christ, I don't want you to have kids <laughs> so that it makes you better. That's, that's not the message of Scripture. The message of Scripture is, I want you to change your mind about Jesus. I want you to put your faith and trust in the God who came to die on the cross for you out of his love. And then, after that, God's word will, will enlighten. God's word will help you live the life that you live. But if you're in that spot today, if you've said some things you shouldn't have said and you've thought some things you shouldn't have thought, Hey, I'm with you. I've done that too. That's called sin. The Bible says that we're separated from God because of our sin. So separated that in eternity we end up in hell. The wages of sin is death, the Bible says. Eternity away from God. The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so I want you to put your faith and trust in Jesus. He will remove your sins. Yeah, I mean, he may help a child decision in your family, but this is way bigger than all that. This is about your eternity. And so maybe you're in that spot. Maybe you're not in the child realm. You're in the realm of needing to change your mind about Jesus. So I'm going to give you the opportunity to consider all these things that we've said today. When we read the Bible, we respond by talking to God, by asking him for help. And so I'm going to ask all of you, would you be willing to bow your heads and close your eyes? This creates a little separation between you and the person next to you for just a minute. And in this moment of reflection, maybe you know that you would need to be saved from your sins. It's called being born again, born into this new life of Jesus, born into the family of God. And if you need to put your faith and trust in Jesus, you just talk to him about it. You don't need to raise your hand. You don't need to come here and tell me. You just talk to God in the quietness of your own heart. He can read your mind and you would say this to him. You'd say, God, I know that I've done things I shouldn't have done and I've said things I shouldn't have said. And I know that that sin separates me from you. And 
and I need someone to save me, to rescue me from eternity in hell. And I believe that Jesus is that. I believe that Jesus is God. I believe that he lived a perfect life. And I believe that he died on the cross for my sin. And not only that, I also believe that he rose from the grave on Easter Sunday. And I believe that when he did that, he proved to me and he proved to the world that he is God and that he could forgive my sin. And so I put my faith and my trust in this Jesus. I put my eternity in the hands of this Jesus. Many of you are Christians and you knew that coming in and you know that thankfully going out only by God's grace. But maybe today you saw something in yourself here about the way that you are parenting and see your kids as a blessing or not. Or maybe you are wrestling with this decision yourself. And so we just respond to him. You talk to God about what you learned. And we could say, God, I, th- I thank you for what you've taught us. And I pray that, that you in your great infinite wisdom would, would lead people to not only have kids in the first place, but have the number of kids that you would want them to have. I pray for your clarity in this area so that we're not left wondering about what we should do and why we should do it. And I pray that today, too, is one of those days that doesn't just hit our mind and we become mentally, um, uh, mentally secure in our decisions, but it goes to our heart and we understand our calling as parents. I pray for those parents who are here today you would help them in the raising of their children, that they would be serving you as they're prayerfully nurturing their kids into adulthood. It's a high calling, and parents of Grace Community Church need your help. So God, we thank you for all of this, and we worship you because of it all too. In Jesus' name, amen. Pastor, 
Uh, if you prayed that prayer with me at the end, uh, it's God that saved you. I didn't save you. Our church didn't save you. But our church is here to help you learn more about Jesus along the way. And so if you prayed that prayer with me, George and Karen are up here. They have a couple things that they want to give you uh, before you head on out. So if you prayed that prayer with me, once we're dismissed, just walk on up and say, hey, I did what that pastor said, and they'll know how to take it from there. We'd love to baptize you. You saw baptism today. We'd love to baptize you in one of our worship services. If you put your faith and, tr- faith and trust in Jesus today, or a day in the past, and, uh, and you haven't been baptized since then, that is your next step. And so we'd love to baptize you in one of our worship services. Like Pastor Chuck said, it is nice and warm in there. Before I let you go, this coming Wednesday is communion. There is no other way that Jesus asked to be remembered. N- none. Like not, not like a picture on your phone of his blue sash or, you know, or wearing a necklace with a cross. Those things aren't bad. But that's not the way that we remember Jesus. Even Sunday morning is not the way that we remember. We worship him, of course, but that's not the way that we remember who Jesus is. So we're going to do everything that Pastor Chuck described on there. We're going to do the everything that Jesus did in that upper room. So yeah, we're going to have a meal. So when you come, bring your kids in here with, with you when you come in. If you have y- the youngest ones, uh, kindergarten and under, we have some child care. But bring your kids in here. They'll love it. Uh, bring some finger foods along, uh, along with you. And, um, and I get it that our communion might not be what you're used to. I totally get it. You might come from a, a church like me uh, where we did it on the last Sunday of every month. Some churches do it on the first Sunday of every month. Some churches do it every single Sunday in the month and they take the bread and the cup and that sort of thing. It's a little different, I get it. We're spending a full evening, an hour and a half remembering our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And we do everything that Jesus did in that upper room. We're gonna have a meal. And so if you're not I- into one of the things that we do, totally get it. Come and observe, and you'll still be blessed by being here. And so if you don't want to eat the meal, hey, that means more cream puffs for Pastor Chuck, right? So I'm sure he'll love that if you don't want to eat the meal. If uh, that whole foot washing thing, you know, kind of is new to you, I totally understand. It's symbolic of what Jesus does for us every day. It's, it's not an act of human. I guess it does take humility to do it, but it's not displaying humility. It's not an action of humility. It is simply a symbol of what Jesus Christ does for us every single day and washing our feet clean as we confess our sins to him, sanctifying us. So we'll do that, but if you're not into it, hey, just sit in the back and observe and, and uh, you'll be fine. No one's doing math on what you do and what you don't do. I just want you to come and remember Jesus. This isn't for people who just are members of Grace Community Church or who sit in the front row or whatever. This is, this is for those of you who are Christians, and if you have friends or family members whose, I don't know, churches aren't back yet or whatever, bring your Christian friends with you to remember Jesus Christ this coming Wednesday right here in this room and bring some finger foods. If you're visiting us for the very first time today, I'd love to meet you. I'm gonna be standing right up front here. Would you mind coming up and introducing yourself? I just wanna shake your hand and thank you for being here today. But with that, have a good rest of your Sunday morning.